This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. It's Creature Feature, a spotlight on one of the Wildlife Hospital Dunedin's extra special guests. And joining us this morning on the line, Jordana White, manager of the Wildlife Hospital Trust, for another insight into a recent guest at the hospital. Morena, great to have you with us, Jordana. Morena, Jeff. Who are we talking about this morning? Today we're going to be talking about a white-fronted tern, a tern, T-E-R-N, that we had in hospital recently. And I am going to warn all of your listeners, it does have a sad outcome, but that is sort of the nature of working with wildlife. Um, So we're happy to talk about this creature anyway, and as a representative of his or her species. Right. Where was this tern found? Um, Doc brought it to us from the Otago Harbour area, Um, so it was right in the city here. And they brought it in because somebody reported it looking just a little bit off. So when he came to us, it was, he was a bit weak uh, and ataxic, which basically means a little bit uncoordinated. Balance was off a bit. And ultimately, after some examination, discovered that it had a wing injury. Uh, it was also a bit lightweight. So it was a, it, it was a juvenile turn. And adults are about 160 grams. This one was about 95 grams. It probably still had some filling out to do and some, you know, putting on some muscle as a juvenile, but it was also a bit hungry, and that's probably due to that wing injury. It wasn't able to hunt properly um, with that injury. I mentioned uh, this bird must have been quite ill because ordinarily it would be very difficult to get anywhere near them. Exactly. Yes, that's right. If you can catch a white-fronted tern, something's wrong. So it's, uh, it's a pretty good indicator that, that something is off. Um, just you know, based on observations alone, it was obviously um, unwell. But, yeah, normally not a bird you would catch. So, yeah, it's a very good point. Um, right. And you, you probably – now, have you seen white-fronted terns? Do you know what these birds well, look I don't, like? Well, I don't know if I have or not. Um, it's very difficult to get close enough to them. I have had an encounter with some terns. It wasn't at Otago Harbour, though. I know they're very protective. Um, I, you can picture me scrambling across rocks in my bare feet on the West Coast, madly trying to get the heck away from some very protective terns. I don't know what kind they were. Yep, dive-bombing, no doubt. Yep, yes. It probably was a white-fronted tern. They are the most uh, abundant of the tern species that we have here in New Zealand. They're found all around the coast, uh, certainly here um, in Tunedin and all of coastal Otago. Uh, so you pr- probably have seen them. M- most people probably have. Um, they are. Uh, they they have. Uh, a, well, I thought the white fronted. So we all learn something here in the creature feature. I thought right white fronted referred to the white chest that they have, but it actually refers to the what's called the fronds, which is essentially a forehead. So just a, it has a white stripe just above its beak, a white horizontal stripe, and that's where it gets its name, white-fronted tern. And then it looks like it's wearing a little black cap uh, that covers its eyes. It's pretty cute, look like a moppy haircut. Uh, and then they have light gray wings uh, and a forked tail, which allows them to maneuver really easily out at sea when they're hunting their little fish prey. Uh, so really common, as I said, you, you probably, ha- probably most people have seen them around. They just don't necessarily know that that's what they're looking at. Um, but yeah, that is a white-fronted tern, and like I said, they're about um, yeah about 160 grams normally. Um, and fishers actually quite like these birds, so they use them to help guide them to shoals of pelagic fish. And in particular, the um, the terns will swarm around uh, kahawai shoals, and so fishers also call them kahawai birds because it leads them essentially to a big feed, which is pretty cool actually that they kind of have that. Uh, relationship. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah, and they, I will also say I learned this 
uh, as well when I was just researching this species. Um, so they, there are three species of tern that we often will see here in New Zealand. Um, and the white-fronted tern looks quite different from the other two. But there is a third species that's in the Antarctic called the common tern. And I think it's kind of funny. They look like the common tern, but the common tern is very rare in New Zealand, despite the name. So sometimes we have to get not common in New Zealand, but common in Antarctica. Uh, and, and here our white-fronted tern are very common. So that's, that's the bird life, I guess. It's very confusing, I think. Do they range far and wide? The juveniles like this one do often go actually go and have an OE in, in Australia at this time of year. So in the in the late summer uh, autumn, they'll start moving over to Australia and they'll overwinter there. Not all of them do that, but a whole a, bi- a big chunk of the population will go and do that. Um, unfortunately, this particular juvenile wouldn't have been up for that journey um, because he got into that got into that wing injury situation uh, and ended up kind of just being stuck here. Um, and when we, we, yeah, like I said, when we got him, he was quite underweight and we, we ended up having to put him into our forest bird ward. We, we do have a seabird ward, which is normally where we would put our turn patients. Um, but we're completely full of penguins at the moment. So we had really had no choice but to put him in the forest bird ward. And I suspect he was annoying all of the, the patients there, um, because he was actually quite noisy. And at one point, uh, one of our vets, turned and asked a vet nurse, do we have a parrot in the hospital? Because it was making a lot of noise, and it sounded actually more like a parrot than a seabird. And I'm not sure if that was his surroundings and the forest bird confusing him or if that was just um, him being uh, responding to being in the hospital and he wasn't happy about it. But well, pretty interesting vocalizations, yeah. N- not everyone enjoys a trip to hospital. Well, no, certainly not, and, and he is no exception. Um, they, they generally are pretty good patients to have, pretty chill. Uh, I would say they're similar to our red-billed gull patients. Um, they don't they don't get too you know too sassy. They don't get too bitey. Um, you know, they're, they're generally not too stressed out. Pretty chill. Um, the one thing they they don't like to do is to self feed. So with gull patients, we can just chop up fish and put it on a little tray, and that's it. They'll they'll feed themselves. They're happy. Um, the terns don't do that. They don't self-feed. And we, we don't like to, um, to, to do a, like a guided feed to kind of push food into their mouths because they'll, they'll shake and they'll get gross dead fish all over their feathers. And we're trying to keep those intact in hopes that they're, they're waterproof and, uh, ready to go when they're, um, all healed up. So we do end up syringe feeding fish smoothie to our turn patients. This makes things a little bit easier and a little bit less messy, which is good. Tell us more about um, these birds in the wild and how they're faring at the moment. Um, well, it, you know, it was unfortunate that this one didn't make it, and, and that's part because they are declining in numbers all across New Zealand. So, like I said, they are they're an abundant tern. They are a common species here, um, but over the last forty years, their numbers have been dropping, and now, unfortunately, they're classified at, at risk or declining. So there's a few things that are happening out there for these birds, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, human human involvement is definitely a big part of that decline. Um, and then climate change, which, of course, is human involvement, is also affecting the population. Um, so, for example, they, they breed in uh, riverbeds, and they, they have, I mean, not we've talked about some birds before not making the most sensible choices with their um, breeding styles, and this is probably one of them, is that they, they just make a very slight depression in and the on the ground, maybe in the rocks as you maybe experienced on the west coast, 
um, and they just lay a single egg on the ground, basically. So it's quite vulnerable, and if they're laying in uh, in riverbeds just on the ground, uh, those riverbeds are often subject to flooding, especially with climate change coming in and changing our weather patterns and uh, having more storms and more floods. Um, so they can get wiped out quite easily that way. And also, because they nest on the ground, they're quite vulnerable to predators. So we get introduced predators like stoats, ferrets, uh, rats, and of course, um, feral and domestic cats as well. And they they tend to um, cluster where they breed, so they, they do breed in colonies, and it makes it really easy for something like a stoat or a cat to come in and just wipe out a whole bunch of chicks at one time. So these colonies, so that, we would, we'd expect to find them in, in, in far away places. They obviously would keep well away from any populated areas and beaches. Well, they are fine. They, they're never found far from the coast. They don't they don't stray too far from the coast. So they certainly could be in areas where um, where there are people and where there are dogs, for example, people walking dogs. Um, they they aren't they don't tend to go to terribly remote sites. So they are quite vulnerable in that way. Mm. Um, so yeah, we we would just ask that in in that regard that you, you can you can keep an eye out for terns. You can't keep an eye out for um, ground nesting birds. Don't drive on riverbeds would be a good start because you don't you may not realize that you're driving through a whole colony of nesting birds. Um, you, you can't really see a single egg in a shallow depression on the ground from your car, so you may not realize that they're nearby. And keeping your your dogs and cats under control, of course, and because they these terns are affected by introduced predators, uh, as always, I would recommend if you have if you haven't gotten involved in trapping and it's something you're interested in doing, go for it because it can certainly help the population of terns. Well, yeah, anything we can do, and and you know, you mentioned the behaviours of of some, and we've seen particularly over the summer months every year, um, people reporting um, vehicles on beaches, and obviously it's not just the safety of humans that we're worried about, as far as that's concerned. It's the the whole ecosystems that get churned up by these vehicles on beaches and riverbeds. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's and it's it's not just people and dogs on the beaches. It's marine mammals like seals and sea lions. It's rare plants, and it's also nesting birds like this. So there's there's a whole lot of reasons to not drive your vehicle on the beach that I think are all quite compelling ones. Um, and I do also I do want to mention just briefly since we're talking about um, a coastal species, uh, if you are a recreational fisher, uh, one way, one of the ways you can help these birds that since they help you find the kawahai. Um, shoals is to make sure that you take all of your equipment with you so don't leave hooks don't leave lines out there if you can if you can take everything with you means it's less likely for these birds to get entangled or to swallow a hook Uh, and if if you do catch one or you do come across one bring it ashore ring dock uh, they'll come and get it and and uh, bring it to the hospital and we'll we'll disentangle it for you you don't have to try to do that yourself and I also want to do it just a quick plug, Jeff. Um, Doc has developed a new smartphone app for recreational fishers. So if they do accidentally catch something or they see an incident or they see a bird um, that's caught or entangled in recreational fishing equipment, that you can report that anonymously. It's not a compliance tool, so nobody's going to get into any kind of trouble. It's all anonymous. They don't collect any personal information from anybody. Uh, it's just gathering some data on understanding what the relationship is between our native species and recreational fishing equipment. Uh, it's just to help develop some educational materials or to understand where more resources need to go to prevent that from happening. Um, so if you have a look at the App Store, it's under Protected Species Catch, uh, and it's totally free. It's very easy to use. It's really quite a beautiful-looking app, um, and it's just good Just good if you've, if you've 
come across something like that before, maybe you found a dead bird, for example, that had a fish hook in it, and you didn't know if you should tell somebody, that's the perfect place to report it. What a brilliant idea. Um, you know, yeah. Sometimes people might come across things and they make a mental note. And when they get back, they might ring somebody or send an email. Well, if you've got the app on you, you can just report it straight away. So if you're out and about as a recreational fisher, um, that'd be a good thing to have. Um, check it out yep. on the uh, app stores. It's Protected Species Catch at your app store. Well, thanks, Jordana, again for bringing us um, more insights into the wildlife uh, around us. And uh, today we were learning all about the white-fronted turn. You can catch a podcast of this conversation and uh, all of the conversations in this series of the Creature Feature from ORFM's website, oar.org.nz. Thanks, Jordana, so much for joining us this morning. We look forward to catching up in a few weeks' time. See you then. The Wildlife Hospital Dunedin treats sick and injured native New Zealand species right here in the heart of Aotearoa's wildlife capital. Their expert veterinary team patches up more than 500 patients every year, returning the majority of them back to the wild where they belong. You can learn more about the hospital, including ways to support this charitable trust, at wildlifehospitaldunedin.org.nz or follow their Facebook page for more fabulous creature content. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.